Welcome to It's Mercedes, honest conversations for freedom-minded women. I'm your host, Mercedes, founder of Libertas Sisters, and every episode I invite a guest to discuss topics such as femininity, relationships, the culture war, self-reliance, politics, and freedom. And let's be honest, whatever else I'm in the mood for. So pop in those headphones, pour yourself a beverage, and settle in. Let's get this episode started. I have a little thing over here to do a quick intro so I don't end up rambling because I do that (laughs) (laughs) if I'm not guided in some way. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of It's Mercedes. And I am super excited for our guest today, Hayden Wilson. She is a financial advisor out of Greenville, South Carolina. Um, She has a passion for helping families, women to get financial stability, independence. She's also an accredited asset management specialist designation. Is that correct? Because that was like a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, like, let me sure I get this straight. Yeah. And so today we're going to hit on a few topics. One that is on everyone's mind, I think, because of our current financial status as a nation, inflation. That rhymed. I didn't do that on purpose. (laughs) So we're going to hit on that first, talk about a few other things and kind of see how this conversation flows and takes us. But before that, do you want to take a moment to introduce um, our listeners to you and what kind of like your passions and interests are? Absolutely. And thanks again, Miss Sadie, for having me on here today. I'm super excited to be discussing all things money and finance with your uh, viewers and listeners. Um, so like a little bit of background. Um, sorry if you hear kitty cats in the background. Uh, first I have one too. It's okay. And dogs. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, they're excited to be here too. <laughs> but yeah, a little bit of background on me. I started finance about a little over two years ago. And how I got into it is I was actually pre-med all throughout college. And I wanted to help people solve their financial or sorry, their health goals, meet their health goals, fix their problems and that knowledge standpoint. But then I really found that I just was not passionate about medicine. Uh, I'm a little crunchy. So I'm the kind of person that I, it's going to take me days to take ibuprofen. If I have a headache, like I, I really did not. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very much, you know, a little anti-medicine, which isn't great for a doctor. And I had to go back to the drawing board of like, okay, what do I like about medicine? What led me to this? And is there something else that I can do that'll be similar? And so I thought about, okay, well, I like helping people fix their problems and I like helping people meet their goals. And something I also really like is personal finance and investing. So I decided, Hey, let's, let's go into that because I still get to work one-on-one with my clients help them meet their goals and fix any problems that come up along the way. So that's how I got, I got started and just kind of uh, dove right in. And here we are. It's funny. I also, I kind of have a similar story because I, my undergrad started as a legal studies. My plan was to be an attorney. Uh And then um, I worked for attorneys, discovered that I didn't really want to do that, but I still had like, I like that hustle and bustle and, uh, mm-hmm. and I still have that interest of law and history and everything like that. And then somehow I think I turned in, cause I got into the, into culinary, which yeah. is also very driven and kind of abusive. <laughs> Like you're just doing long hours and you're on your feet and it's just like a lot of work, but it was a completely, it was, it had its similarities, but it was just something that seemed completely 
different and yeah. like offshoot. You know what I mean? Do you ever get people, they ask you also like, what do you do? I know you were pre-law in college and you're like, oh, now I, I'm in culinary. And they're like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> it happens to me all the time with the finance. So yeah, along the topic of finance, I think there is a lot of talk lately about the topic of inflation. <laughs> um, apparently we're going to be paying the most for a turkey this Thanksgiving that we have in a long time is you know uh, the so rumor. Funny. It's so funny you say that because a few months ago they said that we were having the cheapest 4th of July hot dog ever on record. So well, yes. All, what was it? 33? Was it 15 cents? <laughs> 15, 15 cents or something <laughs> crazy like that. I was like, Ooh, we're really saving a, a buck or two. No, it's, it's, I'm so glad that you brought up inflation because I think it is the thing that's on everyone's minds. And, you know, regardless of them saying that this is not something we should worry about, this is absolutely something that we should be worrying <laughs> about. So, you know, I'm sure all of your listeners have probably started noticing at the grocery store, uh, you know, milk is a little bit more expensive than it used to be. And so is a uh, toilet paper paper, uh, rip on that one. And like, I was even, this is the weirdest thing. I have an obsession with apples and my red delicious apples went up from one ninety nine to two ninety nine, And I was very upset. I mean, that's like what, like a 30% increase. That's insane. That's crazy. Yeah. That is insane. So, so, okay. For like, now I like to know that I know everything, but I don't know everything, <laughs> especially when it comes to money, finances, anything that requires a number, unless it's like turning ounces into mm -hmm. gallons or whatever, yeah. which I seem to be able to work it that way. We all have a general idea of what is inflation or, yeah. you know, like we know it means that stuff is more expensive, right? but if you were to explain to someone who did not know what inflation was and what causes inflation, what, how would you explain it to them? Well, you know, we first saw inflation, um, you know, during the Great Depression. I think that's the one that we learn about all in school. And we learn like, oh, they started printing a lot of cash. And then because they printed a lot of cash, it just decreased the price of the dollar. And then, you know, people were standing in bread lines because they couldn't even afford the bread at the store. So now we're seeing the same thing again. You know, after COVID, we had a lot of stimulus. We had a lot of fake money. And honestly, our debt has gone to like up the wall. I don't even remember what it was recently. Was it like 28 trillion? Yeah. Something crazy like that. Absolutely. crazy. That was a trivia question the other week. And I was very proud of myself for getting it right. Girl so, knows her stuff. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I mean, the debt has gone up the roof and we're seeing a lot of this blowback. I mean, some of it probably has to do with the supply chain. Um, but overall, what we're seeing is we have too much cash and the cash is no longer worth what it used to be. And, you know, we have seen inflation every year. We do have inflation. It's not, it's not some sort of anomaly to have inflation, you know, at all, but this year we saw 5.4%. That's yeah. Crazy. I think there's a difference because I think just as time progresses, like if you look at anything, anything, you know, a gallon of milk back in the 1950s, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Cost whatever, 10 cents. I don't need, I have no idea. You know what I mean? Well, Compared parents always tell me about how their parents used to give them a nickel to go to the gas station and get themselves a Coke. You know, a Coke is no longer a nickel, but that just goes to show you that the price of things has, you know, it has increased over time and that's okay. It's been pretty manageable thus far. It's been, you know, right in that like one to 2% uh, range, but 5.4, that's, that's a lot. That is so a the, lot. The problem that we have isn't necessarily because things inflate as, mm -hmm. you know, as 
changes in the economy happen, population, demand, supply, and everything like that. Right. But the issue it, right now is how quickly it's happening. That's exactly. when it becomes like an inflation problem. Exactly. And like, you'll even see like a lot of people have reported that they've gotten a raise at work in the last year. Well, the average for that raise was 3%. Well, inflation's 5.4. So you do the math. It wasn't really a raise. It didn't even keep up with inflation. So that's just, you know, what we're seeing right now. And it's going to impact a lot of people because inflation actually does impact, um, you know, unlike what they like us to believe, it actually does impact everybody, poor, middle-class, upper class. I mean, it's going to impact all of us. And I would say it's going to impact, you know, middle down to low, uh, the most out of any of the social class systems. So I'll definitely feel it first because oh, yeah. yeah. Cause they don't have the expendable money to make up for the increased in cost. Exactly. And I think, you know, I was even, I had to go over my own budget recently and I, I had, you know, a certain amount allocated to groceries. I just had to up it about like $40, I think is what I added to, but that might not sound like a lot, but $40 times 12 months, I mean, 480 a year, I just increased my grocery budget by $500. I mean, that's not a lot right now, but it might be in the future. Well, and, and then the question is if it continues to increase. Of so, course. And then along those lines, I'm sure like you have clients that have these concerns in general, the nation is having these concerns, even though we're being told, I don't even understand the argument that it's good. I mean, yeah. have you heard these are, I don't even understand the logic. Can you explain to me the false logic behind inflation is good? Yes. So a lot of people are like, oh, this is a good thing because this means we're going to be paying more um, to the people who are you know, producing these goods and services. And that's just not how it is. If you, okay, this is an example that everyone can understand. My hairdresser, I love her. She's told me about how hard it has been to explain to clients that she has to up the prices by about, you know, 10 to 20 bucks per client simply because she can't get the different products she uses for our hair um, at the price she used to be. And I mean, it's been tough. She's had clients leave her because they're unwilling to pay the prices. Now, I don't know that they're going to find anything cheaper anywhere else, especially for the same quality, but we're, it's not really going to be going to the, uh, the workers and the actual producers here. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's just going to cost more money from us middle-class folk who are just trying to make it. Um, and you know, it'll impact a lot of other things. Like, you know, I said that I had to add money to my, um, grocery, my grocery expenses for the month. Well, that's coming out of what I probably would have been able to invest or save at least. So or I'm, even spend for an extra activity or, yeah. you know, kind of like the more, I don't want to say frivolous, but the more like entertainment, you know, fun yeah. type aspects. Cause those exactly. are the first things that you're going to pull away from when I'd much rather be able to spend that at like a brewery or maybe go do some sort of like fun, fun adventure, than spend it on, you know, groceries. Groceries. <laughs> and then don't even get me started on gas. Oh my goodness. Like it's, I drive a Toyota Corolla. Okay. It used to cost me maybe $20 to fill up once a week, 20 bucks easy peasy. It is now costing me anywhere from 30 to $40 <laughs> to fill up my tiny little Toyota Corolla. So 
I yeah. mean, and I, I still, I, both my husband and I drive SUVs. Thankfully, mm-hmm. I mean, we're lucky because only in the sense that I work from home. So I literally yeah. drive my car like two, like on the weekend. Right. You know what I mean? And right. then my husband travels a lot and most of his travel is taken care of by the company. So his mm-hmm. car also sits there for a long time. So, <laughs> but not everybody has that luxury. Oh so yeah. Along those lines, about inflation. We're all concerned about inflation. Now it's going to affect everybody. Yes. It's not really something that we can just be like, oh, this isn't my problem. Right. So when you are talking to your clients or to our listeners, and if you were to say, we can't get away from it, but can we mitigate it? And if we can mitigate it, how can we mitigate it? You know, what I like to show my clients first, um, I do what's called a personal wealth analysis and I show them, all right, this is what you need to have for retirement. The, you know, we plug in all the numbers. It gives us, this is what we need to have. This is what you're going to have if we don't make any changes, right? And so some right now, the big changes are we have to hedge for inflation. So some of them, you know, we're wanting to hold on to a lot of cash. And this is going to the, be, be the biggest thing for, I feel like all people is holding on too much cash because the cash is what is being inflated right now. The cash is losing value. Um, and so, you know, holding on to all of your assets and cash. No, we, we need to get rid of that mindset. We got to wipe that away. Um, once you have your six month emergency fund held in cash, it's time to put everything else to work. So what I mean by putting it to work is there are lots of different ways to hedge or protect against inflation. Um, now one of people's biggest things that they go to first, obviously is invest in the stock market. So I'm sure you are at least somewhat familiar with the stock market, but you know, stock market tends to be, I mean, that's like hedge inflation 101 for us is the stock market that can keep going up regardless of inflation. I mean, we're seeing the market right now. It's pretty high, um, regardless of what's going on with the rest of the economy. That's why I always like to say that a good economic indicator is not the stock market. It really is inflation. So the first thing you can do is invest. Well, you're wanting like long-term investment. Long-term. Because- we're yeah. talking like we're going to put this money in this um, this investment account, this retirement account, and it's going to sit there for the next, you know, 20 to 40 years and we're not going to touch it. Um, and so a lot of people, they prefer to do this in what's called an IRA. Um, so ladies, listen up. An IRA is a retirement account and it allows you to have tax advantages. Now there are two types of IRAs. You have your traditional IRA that lets you uh, put in your money before you pay taxes. Then it's going to grow tax deferred. And then whenever you take it out, you do have to pay the income taxes on the money. Now, a lot of younger people or people who feel like they're going to make more money in the future, they go for a Roth IRA. And the reason behind that is because a Roth IRA, uh, you pay the taxes now and then you put the money in, it grows tax-free and then you pull out the money and you don't pay any taxes on it at all. Personally, I'm opting for a Roth. You know, I'm anticipating making more money in the future. We'll see. (laughs) And you don't Um, want to be taxed on, on that withdrawal when you're making more money in the future. Exactly. I'd rather pay the money now while I'm making probably like the least amount I will in the next few years. Again, knock on wood. But you know, like that's, that's just like how that goes. You know, you, you have those two accounts, you can put up to six grand into each a year. That's a great starting point for some people, especially if you don't have a 401k. Now, a 
IRA is great for, even if you do have your 401k, I always tell people what I want to see first is at least put in money in your 401k up to your employer's match. And the reason for that is because a match is free money. We love free money. <laughs> we love it. So uh, match, you know, like if your employer is matching hundred percent up to 5%, you put in 5%, they put in 5%, you now have like 10% that just went in that month. That's now this is, this is probably, I think I know the answer to this, but a 401k is usually only through an employer. Yes, and if you're self-employed, you have to do like an IRA or something like that. Yeah. And okay. if you're self-employed, you can do an IRA. We do have their what we called solo 401ks. I helped someone set that up for his, uh, he, he makes vans, uh, like those cool little travel vans. Yeah. Uh, I helped him set up that that's, you know, another option for small business owners. I pretend to prefer the IRAs over the solo 401ks whenever we're, um, you know, like determining, okay, what are we going to invest into first? Only reason being you just have more control over the IRAs and more investment choices. You can put anything into an IRA. And that, that leads me to the next part, you know, with your IRA, just simply opening an IRA does not mean you're invested. So you open the IRA, Step two is you transfer money into the IRA and then you buy the investment. So oftentimes I ask people, I'm like, so do you invest? And they're like, yeah, I have an IRA. And I'm like, oh, what do you like to put in your IRA? And they're like, money. Uh, <laughs> money. You're like, you, uh, you need to do a little, there's a, there's a step, there's a follow through step there, right? Exactly. Exactly. And it, it cracks me up and I'm like, okay, here's how we're going to explain this. So your IRA is your purse. So you have your purse. And then if you want to uh, go put lipstick, you've got to go buy lipstick. To yeah. put the lipstick it doesn't magically appear in the purse. Exactly. You, you know, like, yes, we find these things a lot in a purse, but we have to buy them first. So then you want a wallet. Well, you can go and buy a wallet and you can put that in your IRA. You want, you know, so that's, that's how I like to explain an IRA. Um, just a common misconception right there, but yep, that kind of covers, you know, the first steps I would take into, um, you know, planning for inflation because really inflation, when is it going to affect us? The absolute most is going to be when we retire, you know, 20 to 40 years from now. So you uh, wouldn't recommend just, you're saying like no to stashing it in a savings, like a standard right. savings account. No, you don't want to be stashing that kind of money. Um, you know, I kind of mentioned before, I like to see uh, clients and other people just have about six months of emergency savings saved up. But I also think that you can be working on that at the same time as saving for retirement, because, you know, if it's going to take you a few months or maybe even a few years to get your emergency savings, you do want to still be putting away some into retirement. Uh, personally, I always, um, I always put in money to my 401k that is just non-negotiable for me. So there might be a month where I'm not able to put away any savings at all into my emergency savings account, but I did make my 401k contribution because I don't want to miss out on that match, but that's okay. It just kind of depends on the person and the situation. Uh, some people feel totally comfortable having three months just saved. Um, and that's fine too, but I like to recommend six just to stay nice and conservative and have all of our uh, ducks in a row. And then after that, really you want to put any extra cash to work because it's going to be sitting there and, you know, years from now, it, it won't buy you anything when you retire. That's for certain. <laughs> yeah. Well, and especially, I mean, right now the money that 
the inflated costs right now, you just kind of have to deal with them and it's Mm -hmm. going to go away. Exactly. You can't just hold on to it and hope that it still kind of pans itself out. We still have to live our life day to day. And I know for my husband and I personally, you know, we do our investments and we do our savings too. But regarding like that six month emergency account, at least those bills tend to stay consistent. You know what I mean? Like your car payment stays consistent, your home or your mortgage state, you know, especially if you own your property, as opposed Uh to like within a year, rent might go up or something like that. It's so easy to calculate. And when I say six months expenses, I don't mean six months of like all the things that are non-negotiable, like your mortgage, car payment, credit card bills, all that kind of stuff. Plus all the things you spend your money on. You know, I'm talking about like true emergency situation. You have to be able to pay your bills. You have to be able to pay for food, maybe not for dining out and drinks out on the town, but you have to be able to, you know, take care of your family, that sort of thing. Well, and that's one, and it's probably one of the, an episode that I'll have a discussion with, with a a friend of mine in regards to food security, but just to kind of, you know, touch on that real quick, you know, meat prices are increasing right now. Yes, they are (laughs) significantly. (laughs) So I I tell a lot of my friends and I've even told my family, if you have access, direct access to a meat provider, a local farmer or something like that, get in touch, hook up with a friend split the cost on a cow and stock up your freezer. And then that can kind of mitigate your grocery cost over several months, up to a year, depending on the size of your family. Like my house is a two person household. So we're eating off of this half a cow for probably a good eight (laughs) months. You know what I mean? Yes. No, I, I totally support that. And, you know, here in the South, we've got a lot of people who hunt and, you know, like if you're going hunting, take that dough to the meat processor and make sure you save it up and like, you know, like let's, let's freeze it. Let's like do all the things so that you are able to, you know, survive if you need to. I don't think here's the thing. I don't think we're heading into apocalypse or anything crazy like that, but it is just so good to be prepared and to have that peace of mind, knowing that you'll be okay if anything happens or yeah. even if you well, just your job, you know, exactly. And I always tell people that to, like, I'm not of the mindset of like, the world is, uh, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) you can live like that. That would be, that's (laughs) exhausting. But I just be like, you know what? Worst case scenario, I'm good. Yes. You know what I mean? And then if nothing happens, well, then I save myself some money. Like, you know what I mean? Exactly. Just kind of having that mentality. I don't like the chicken little, the sky is falling situation. Mm -hmm. So, but if we were to retouch on, so you, for mitigating the effects of inflation, so don't hold on to the money. Don't like stash it in savings, get your six months uh, or three to six months emergency finances, I guess. Yeah. Emergency savings and check Um, that'll be in cash. But then everything after that, you want to put it to work and invest Um, in the retirement accounts. That should be your first go to. After that, you can look into like cash management accounts, which is basically what you'd find on any e-trading. Um, but you don't want to use E-Trade a lot of times for the retirement accounts because like Robinhood friends, they don't have, uh, IRAs, I believe, you know, you'll, you'll want to find a reputable firm to do that on. Um, and then, you know, looking past even investing, there are other ways and you know how we can tell this, this is what the different big portfolio managers are doing right now. They're buying real estate and they're buying gold. So, you know, people like to kind of make fun of gold, especially no, that's yeah, because of those advertisements. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's a great way. It's a tangible asset that you hold and you can, you know, the value of it. And it's going to pretty much keep pace at least with inflation most times. I mean, that's what it's historically done, but then also, you know, real estate, why do we see BlackRock buying up all the houses? Because no, it works great for their portfolios. So um, that's, you know, what we're going to be seeing a lot. And it would be great to see some more um, normal people, not just uh, big uh, financial firms buying up the stock or buying up the uh, real, real estate. estate. I'd love to see some mom paws buying up some uh, single family housing and being great landlords to people who really need it. Well, then I wanted to kind of along the lines of, you know, one of the things that had is believed to have contributed to inflation is COVID mm -hmm. yes. and the lockdowns and people basically being paid not to work and all their restrictions and everything like that, which has really mm -hmm. caused a lot of people to reevaluate their uh, positions financially, their dependence on a major corporation for their income, businesses, that sort of thing, especially after we went through this, I don't know, almost a full year of just working from home, you yeah. know, yeah. like I think it's completely changed <laughs> the economic landscape. And mm -hmm. I think in some ways, potentially for the better, because we were probably for a long time stuck in this traditional view of nine to five at the office, 45 minute to one hour commute. You know what I mean? Like and away from your family, daycare, that whole aspect. Like it was for a long time, this is the way it's done. Mm -hmm. And so I think with, especially women spending more time at home and their children, there are some women, at least with my own conversations with my listeners and my followers on social media that are kind of reevaluating wanting to be home. Yes. Whether it is to be home full time and maybe convert to a single income family or being home and pursuing some kind of entrepreneurial aspect where they're able to work from home and still balance the work life situation. Have you also seen that happening over especially the last two years? Oh yeah. No, I mean like uh, so many of my friends and just even some of my internet friends, um, love them. <laughs> um, they, they come to me and they tell me, they're like, you know, I really want to be a stay at home mom, or I really want to be a stay at home wife. Um, and I want to be my, be my husband's partner and helping him succeed so that we're able to go to that one income. And that's really what it is all about is if you're going to go to one income, you have to be ready to, you know, be the support system to help your partner be able to make up from your income. Because a lot of people, it's going to be very difficult to go straight to one income right away. I actually do have a process on that. I'll touch a little bit on that because I do think women, you guys need to know this is entirely possible because whenever you go to one income, there's so many things that are changing. Um, I'm going to talk from the stay-at-home mom perspective. So for instance, stay-at-home moms, you don't have to pay for daycare. You don't have to pay for a cleaning service. You don't really have to pay as much on food because you have more time to cook at home and learn how to make the meals that your family loves. Um, that's that's going to save money um, because the restaurant we saw we see inflation and uh, grocery stores, restaurants are seeing it even more than we for are. Sure, so yeah. you can save a lot of money just even by going to be a stay at home mom. And then not only that, you're going to be relieving the stress from your partner. So by relieving that stress and providing this wonderful support system, when he comes home from work, you're allowing him to focus 
on work. And you are kind of like that foundation for him to just push on through, get the promotion, um, you know, do a really good job, get that raise, get that bonus. And then also something people don't really talk about is, you know, a lot of times whenever people get promotions, they have to move. Well, that can cause a lot of strain if one partner has a job and they can't find another job where the other wants to move to. So we're adding in this extra, you know, flexibility to be able to move on up in the corporate ladder or in the workplace. So there are lots of benefits to it, but then also a lot of women just prefer, they want to stay home and be homemakers and take care of their children. Um, we see all this stuff going on in the school systems, not even just, you know, getting into indoctrination or anything like that, but just, you know, unreliability. Even here, we have parents who are getting calls at 6 a.m. saying the bus can't come pick their children up from school and they're having to miss part of work to drive them. So, you know, it's going to relieve a lot of that stress for moms who even want to homeschool or even if they don't want to homeschool, just being able to drive their kids to school. Their kids no longer have to wait in the bus stop. They don't have to worry about, you know, reliability of transportation. So I know that kind of goes into an entire rabbit hole of things. So I don't know if there's anything specifically you would like to touch on there. My goal is always to empower, especially women to do mm -hmm. whatever the heck they want. You know what I yes. mean? Absolutely. So it's not that this is your best choice or it's like an either or situation, but if you do, you know, for a long time, we have been told, especially in society that either a woman is not truly fulfilled if she's not working outside the home uh -huh. or which is, I personally find incredibly sexist as if a woman is unable to figure out what her own desires, um, and abilities are, but I'm not gonna, even going to get into <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to like go down that rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> but also that, you know, we've been told that we just cannot, we are no longer able to be single income homes. Yeah. Like it's, it's almost, it's not that it's an antiquated idea, even though some people will say that's just an antiquated and sexist or, you know, a patriarchal idea, mm -hmm. but that we're being told it's just financially impossible. Yeah. And so or I'm wondering if if it's truly like we've gotten to the point where it's actually financially impossible because of just the cost of living or with some changes, is it something that's possibly feasible? Right. And that doesn't even mean that a woman that works from home for a time with their children while they're small and homeschooling can't pursue something independently, but still exactly. be in the home. Exactly. And so like to first touch on, you know, is it feasible? Well, there's a great way to find out. This is what I always have my clients who want to pursue being a single income family. This is what I have them do. So, you know, you have husband and wife, what we start doing is where we make the decision. Okay. We're going to put half of the wife's salary every single month into emergency savings. We're going to do that for the next three months. And we're going to only live off of half of her salary and his entire salary. And then three months later, we're going to actually zero that even further. Like if we have to take baby steps, we can each month we can, but the ultimate goal is a year in, we want to be only reliant on his salary, her entire salary going into emergency savings. Now, the reason why we do this one, we're finding out if it is feasible for this family 
to live off of one salary and what that looks like. But we're making small changes along the way so that we're not just cutting out everything cold turkey because there are going to be things that you have to cut out at first because you're not going to make up that income right away. But two, this is really great because it allows them to really build up that emergency savings account. Because I'm going to tell you, if it's one, if it's a single income family, I like to see a little bit more in emergency savings. That's when I am going to bump it up to where it needs to be six to 12 months because we have to be prepared for anything. We don't have another income to fall back on it anymore. Once you become single income, you just have one. So that's why, you know, we're really, really filling up this emergency savings account, but then we're also getting used to living off of that one income. Now, along the way, they might figure out that, okay, uh, she likes, um, at least, you know, being home a bit more, but maybe what would be more feasible for the family would be to start the wife off at part-time. Um, you know, my mom was a nurse for, I mean, she still is. She went to part-time basically as soon as we were um, in elementary school and her going part-time, she only worked, you know, two, three times a week, but then she was able to be there for everything from the music lessons to swim team practice to basketball. I mean, she was there for it all, but she still got to bring in enough income to make my family feel financially stable enough to handle anything. Um, But then, you know, other other um, moms, they might decide, Hey, you know, I don't want to work for a company anymore. I'd like to go off on my own and maybe like do tutoring. I saw this one mom recently who she quit being a teacher and she became a full-time tutor. And now she has an entire business and she gets to uh, teach her own kids. She gets to stay home with them and then tutor everybody else's children too. And it's a real passion of hers. Well, and um, I think right now there's a huge market for that, especially with yeah. since there's so many parents right now, they're now they're interested in homeschooling, but they don't know where to begin or they feel like they're not like, I don't know, capable or informed enough to homeschool their children, you know? Well, and even like with me, you know, my day job, my day job is as a financial advisor, but I have a side hustle. I play violin. So I play violin for churches, weddings, like any kind of event. And then I also teach private violin lessons. So that's kind of like my little artistic fulfillment there for me. And, you know, I don't know if in the future I would want to be a stay-at-home mom, but I know one, we would have a system in place to do it. But two, um, if I want to keep working part-time and teach lessons or do financial coaching or anything like that, I know that I also have the resources available to do that. And it's purely my decision. It And that's the big thing for women and also just for society. They need to start understanding. It's not that our husbands are pressuring us to become stay-at-home moms or it's not even like our families are. It's just a lot of us naturally want to be at home and raise our family and see, you know, be there for every little special moment. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's not the patriarchy. It's not sexism, you know? So it's just, you know, overcoming that common belief that it it's just, you know, sexist to want to stay home. I happen to like making my fiance sandwiches. Thank you very much. No. <laughs> so how dare you? How I dare know. you? <laughs> so, okay. Now I'm going to take a hard, I don't know which way we're going to turn, but <laughs> when I first reached out to you, Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also kind of in the realm of investment. So it does kind of tie back to our original like investment inflation kind of topic. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something to me where I was like, I, you're like, oh, maybe we can talk about ESGs. And I'm yeah. like, what? I'm like, what is an ESG? Do I want an ESG? Do I drop <laughs> ESG? Because it literally sounds like an acid drop to me. Like when you said ESG, I was like, yeah. 
a drug? Like, what are we talking about? So <laughs> this might be a really new term to a lot of people. Cause I know it was for me. And I, like I get, like I said, I think I know everything and clearly I do not. <laughs> so what is an ESG? What does it stand for? Should we like them? Should we not? Like, let's, let's do a little, little ESG for dummies. Yeah. And you know, first of all, I'm going to say, I'm never going to tell anybody what they should support or what they shouldn't support, but I'm going to give some of the information behind it and let everybody make their own decisions. So ESG stands for environmental social governance. And you hear that. And what is, what, what would be your first reaction? You know, that, that trend recently, the red flag trend, that's immediately where I go to. I'm like, Red, red flag. flag. <laughs> red flag. Yep. You're right. I, I used to nickname it. You know, when I first started in finance, I didn't think too much of it. I was like, Oh, it's just like the hippie investments. It's for like the social justice warriors. That was literally what I thought. And I was like, I was nothing to worry about. This isn't a big deal. Right. Which is, I think been our problem for over the last, especially yes. like five to six years is this underestimation of that little pocket of, uh, of the world. <laughs> oh yes. Yes, it has. Um, because then, you know, I, I literally for over a year, I just did not think about it. And then, um, I started thinking about it and I realized what it was doing. So ESG, the way the investments are picked, it's no longer just based off of what do we think is going to do well? Cause you know, that's how most portfolios are managed is portfolio managers want to get you the best return while still matching your risk tolerance. Right. So that's, that's their goal. Well, ESG is different because ESG, the investments, yeah, they get good returns, but it's not necessarily like they were picking them for that. They're picking them because they are meeting some sort of criteria that has so been some environmental or social what does the governance. G stand for? Govern governance. <laughs> criteria. Some sort of like ethical, moral criteria. So maybe the uh, criteria is like, okay, we're not going to invest in any coal. We're only going to invest in um, electric, electric en energy sources, windmills. <laughs> I don't know. Um, we're only going to invest in things that are, you know, matching our criteria. Okay. That doesn't sound too bad to some people. It's like, oh, well, I like the, I like the environment. I want to help the environment. Well, maybe then they start saying like, okay, well, um, now the criteria is we're only going to invest in companies that support Democrats coming into office or, you know, like they can set any criteria they want. So any kind remember. of, there's no hard rule. So any kind of no. social issue is attached to the company. So it's not necessarily uh -huh what they're producing, but what, um, issues or possibly even politics that they're supporting. I, I mean, right. is that too far to, No, that's not at all too far because like, let's say, let's say I become a famous financial coach. Okay. And then, um, you know, let's say that, uh, target has decided to, uh, publish one of my books. I don't have a book yet, but maybe I will in the future target publishes one of my books and they're selling it to all of their customers. Well, let's say that on the criteria now we can't support conservative female authors. So then this portfolio manager who has this ESG fund, they go to target and they say, if you want us to continue putting your stock in our portfolios, 
you can't sell Hayden Wilson's books anymore. You have to take her off the shelves. And so that's where this becomes a big deal. It makes it entirely possible to cancel basically anything. We talk about cancel culture all the time. Well, this is basically defining the culture that is okay and what's not okay. Well, and that's really significant because it means, I mean, honest, I'm, I mean, what I hear is that you're coercing or bribing a company essentially mm-hmm. to only follow certain ideas and views. Otherwise, they're not going to have people invest into them. Exactly. Because exactly. they're taken out of the portfolio. Exactly. And it's super scary to think about because it can happen to anything. It can happen to anyone. I mean, like we see how everything can be. So I remember when dairy was politicized, not really politicized, but it was publicized so much. Turns out like dairy doesn't really help us prevent osteoporosis or other just, you know, like, yeah, it turns out it's not actually, well, that's just because it was promoted because the dairy industry decided- yeah, they came up with a campaign about yeah, it. Exactly. And then everybody just goes along with it. Well, that's, what's going to happen here. And, you know, we're letting basically the culture be defined right now. I mean, it, it tends to, it tends to be a leftist cultural move. That's why, you know, a lot of people on the right, if you ask a lot of people who define themselves as conservative, the first thing they're going to talk about is like, well, I'm fiscally conservative. You know, even I did that for the longest time because I was afraid to speak my views. I didn't want people to prejudge me, think Mm -hmm. that I was some sort of a prude or that I was like a bigot or anything crazy like that just because I'm conservative. And I would say, well, I'm a fiscal conservative. And we think that it's enough to be fiscally conservative these days. And it simply is not. And so we're seeing that even in the ESG investing, I mean, if we're going to allow them to define what culture um, is worthy okay. of investment, that's not what they're saying. It's it's no law, and like I said before, it's no longer like you know we talk about a meritocracy. Well, investing traditionally has been in some way, you know, a meritocracy. Like whenever I go and I decide I want to buy, you know, some stock or index funds, I'm looking purely at the numbers. To be quite honest, I well, tend I mean, to I would think it's like if you're taking your money and investing it somewhere mm-hmm. that you want the money to grow. So exactly. your concern is more about the performance and not uh-huh. whether like, don't get me wrong. Okay. <laughs> Obviously there are situations and I mean, this is like an outlier, but yeah, I'm not going to go and support a company. Like, look, we're just going to be honest here. I got my issues with Nike. Why do I have my issues yes. with Nike? Because of what's going on with Ch- in China and their production yeah. over there and th- that whole situation. I do not buy Nike. Like that's for me is just like a thing. Mm-hmm. So, but at the same time, I am determining that as an individual. There's yeah. not some kind of, you know, structure, which is what we're talking about with these investors that's designating and telling these companies what is good and what is wrong. And then if you don't follow these parameters, Mm -hmm. we won't give you our investors money. You're not trying to stop anybody from investing in Nike, you know, like, and that's the big difference is that you are making the individual decision not to do it for yourself. But now like we're basically putting the power, anybody who is in ESG, they've basically allowed the company decide their ethics and morals to some to some, you know, point, because I always, what I used to describe ESG when I thought it was just like, oh, like green investing. I was like, oh yeah, it's just like, you know, if you care for the environment, you're putting your money where your mouth is. 
you're really not. You're just allowing them to put your money where their mouth is. And that's the big difference. Um, you can decide what to invest in, you know, on your own. And that's, you know, people say like, well, I still want to support you know, the environment, but I don't really want to support um, companies just based off of like other ethics and morals. I'm like, you can still invest in, you know, green energy, you can still invest in all sorts of things, but you don't have to do it through an ESG portfolio that you really don't have any control over. So that's, ESG is a huge topic for us these days. And so it's more ESG of more like a package deal to, as is. opposed to I as an individual saying, yes, I want to invest in X company because they're doing good things in, mm -hmm. you know, um, electric or, you know, conservation or something along those lines. Yeah. Now these ones are clumping every social justice issue into an in general package. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they'll, they'll say that the biggest thing is like, you know, oh, they perform pretty well and they do, they, they pretty much perform like any other um, index fund would, to be quite honest, like they're not underperforming. I wouldn't say they're necessarily overperforming, but you know, like they just kind of, Depends on the day, obviously, but they're going to give you that return. And so that's why I say, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody what they should do because again, just because I don't support it does not mean <laughs> I think that I should decide what you support, but it's just good to know that what you are doing is actually enabling companies to control the cultural moment, as you will. Um, you're giving them more of that power and control by continuing to put your money in those types of investments. And it's so an interesting almost corporate, I don't know, is this like an, an over, what, what is the word I'm looking for when you kind of overreact or whatever, but like a social credit kind of system yeah, for no, corporations? It is, it is ushering in a social credit system and it's doing it through money, which is, I mean, honestly, let's be real. Money drives everything in the world right now. And this is just part of it. It's going to help continue ushering that social credit system. Because again, like, let's say that you are a big time uh, chef and you are now like selling all of your products and it's like international, you've developed like an entire system. Well, then they find out, oh, you have a podcast um, that we don't agree with all the time. Um, and let's see, like, let's see the food network is, uh, sponsoring you. Oh, they, they need to drop me food network. And they say, listen, if you want to continue to have your stock sold by us, then, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to take our show off. You're going to have, you know, like, and so that's really what it is, is they will have the ultimate control. And like, it, it's just. Now, are you saying that this is because I think, and I have these discussions a lot, like I, I have a women, an online women's community and we have these discussions a lot where, yeah. you know, things are happening right now. And I think we as a society tend to not either because we haven't been taught history or forgotten history tend to not be able to see what something can eventually turn into. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So are you saying that this is something of the, that in your opinion or your view is something that could potentially happen or is this something that's pretty much happening? I mean, I think it's definitely already happening. I think it could get much worse. I don't think, I don't think it's rolling down the hill yet, if that makes any sense. Yes. But we are pushing that barrel up the hill right now with this. And every step gets closer to, you know, it becoming unstoppable because what happens when, you know, let's say like 70, 80% of America is now invested wholly in ESG. What happens to all the well, other- Well, then you're only getting like one side of whoever's designated and whoever is that's doing the investment is the one that's going to determine yeah. what messages or what 
brands, campaigns or whatever are going to see the light of day, so to speak. Exactly. And like this really, what this affects the most is people who are in investing in those portfolios. They're not, and they're like allowing their portfolio to be managed with by or for them either passively, passively or actively. Um, it's not the same, you know, we're always going to have people who hold stock and that's why I say, you know, like we're, we're not entirely there yet. Um, but we're starting to see this huge culture shift amongst young people, um, to where we're all about those index funds and we're all about, you know, just buying little bits and pieces. Well, what if all those bits and pieces are now ESG? You know, it's just something to think about. And, you know, right now we can stop it. We can, you know, make moves to, you know, by even just making our own personal decisions of, you know, me, I'm never going to be in an ESG portfolio. I don't care if it's getting me 20% and my other portfolio is getting me 12. It does not matter to me. I will still stay in my other portfolio. Um, Because it's an issue of principle for you personally. Yeah, it's a principle thing. You know, Nike stock, I mean, they can do pretty well sometimes. I know they dropped quite a bit during uh, the whole Lil Nas X incident and a few other things. But, um, you know, like still like some people bought during the drop, you know, I mean, well, cause that's, I mean, honestly, if you think about it, that's the way you should do it. The the issue is like, why is it dropping? You know, (laughs) me personally, I, I didn't like that, uh, Nike was involved in any of that. So I didn't buy the drop, but you know, maybe someone else who they only see numbers, they're a numbers person. They don't care about any of the principle behind it. Um, so they were like, Oh, great. It's on sale. Let's, let's buy some. So, (laughs) um, you know, and that's why I always say, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody again, what to support, what not to support, but it's good to understand everything. Because like I said, even I, like during the first year working in finance, I just thought it was a great, like, Oh, it's like a hippie, a hippie fund. Like, Oh, it's just like for like all the social. And I think a lot of times that's one of the things that kind of gets us into the situations that we find ourselves in now, you know, Mm -hmm. because what is it to say the, the road of good intentions is what something about pay. I'm really bad. I can never remember sayings or whatever, but you know what I mean? Like you have good good intentions and then they go to crap. You know what I mean? Is essentially what it is. And so initially it sounds like a good thing. I mean, even Mm -hmm. back in the day, when you said the term social justice, you're like, okay, or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want people to be treated fairly. That sounds good to me. Like I want everybody to get along. That sounds great. But then you start diving deeper into what it actually means and you realize- Or at least how it's trying to be implemented. And then Mm -hmm. that's kind of where you run into the issues. And then I wanted to ask you this question real quick before we finish up, but since, Mm -hmm. okay, maybe I have my little tinfoil hat on right now. Cause sometimes I feel like that's, I'm, I don't even like conspiracy or anything because yeah. it makes me uncomfortable and I'm very much a logical person. However, this ESG thing, like I said, sounds like a social credit system for corporations. Mm-hmm. Do you see this? And this is just my, me working through an idea as a possibility of preparing people for social credit as individuals, like will financial institutions determine themselves, like who they're going to be willing to work with, who they're going to provide loans to, who they're going to finance, depending on their social credit. It could. I don't think we're anywhere close to that quite yet, but I mean, think of it this way. What if, um, what if they decide, all right, we are only going to, um, we're only going to trade with or like trade companies that, um, support critical race theory and 
have to teach all of their employees. So we might not see it right away, but we're going to see it through the companies that we work for who are being traded by all of these um, portfolio managers, right? So like, we're going to start seeing bits and pieces of it. Well, eventually let's say you lose your job because you can't get down with the critical race theory and like transgender and all, you know, all the crazy things going on. Um, Then you don't have any money. So of course you you're going to be treated differently, but I do think it could eventually lead down to the social credit system. We're creating infrastructure with it right now. Like the closer and closer we get to anything with like vaccine passports that that's creating infrastructure for social credit. And that's, that's what I always like to warn people is like, we think that things don't matter right now, but we're creating the process and the infrastructure for things that are much worse later on. Well, and I think it's just one of those things of the adjusting your baseline, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Where at a base, we are expecting one thing, but change does not happen drastically. It happens bit by bit. And then yeah. every time you're just kind of like, oh, it's just this, or it's just that. And then the next thing, you know, it's just converted into this massive thing. And then your, your baseline has shifted. So yeah. what was not acceptable a year ago, you've slowly allowed yourself to be conditioned into it being okay today with a lot of people not even realizing it. It just kind of happens passively. I love that term conditioning. Cause that's, that really is what's happening now. Um, you know, even just like with the ESG, we're conditioning people to think it's not that big of a deal. It's really just another form of investing and it has pretty good returns. But when you dive deeper and you start looking at what this could implement or mean in the future, that's when it gets scary. So yeah, for sure. Well, um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up, but thank you so much for this conversation. This was fun. And who thought, look, I'm not a money person, but even like, (laughs) this was a good, this was a good chat. I enjoyed this. Where can people find you if they want to follow you? Is there anything that you got in the works that maybe you want to share? Yes. So you should definitely follow me on Instagram. That's where I post a lot of financial tips. That's how Mercedes and I found each other. Yes. So <laughs> my Instagram handle is at Hayden C. Wilson. So that's H-A-Y-D-E-N-C as in cat. Wilson, W-I-L-S-O-N. Um, you should follow me on there. That's where you're going to see a lot of um, everything going on. And that's also where you're going to find any updates. Um, you know, we spoke about single income families. Um, that's something that I'm actually working on for a course for all of my ladies who are following me who would like to go on that path towards being coming a stay-at-home mom or just a single income family. So that's where you can find most of the information. And then if you have any specific questions, feel free to email me at Hayden C. Wilson at gmail.com. And I will be sure to have the link to her Instagram and her email in the show notes below. So thank you again so much, Hayden. And you guys stay tuned uh, in two weeks for another episode. Thanks so much for listening to It's Miss Sadie, Honest Conversations for Freedom-Minded Women. You can find the show notes for this episode at itsmissadie.com. And if you're loving the podcast, I would be so honored if you would go ahead and hit that subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. And if you would like to have conversations like this with other freedom-minded women, visit libertasisters.com, a community of women founded on the values of femininity, self-reliance, and freedom. You can also connect with me on Instagram at itsmissadie or join my email list. Until next time, stay free and stay honest.